You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. We are back for round two of Giants versus Commanders, this time in Washington on Sunday night under the bright lights that NBC provides (laughs) and all of the fun graphics and dumb theme songs. (laughs) Are you ready? This This is the most important game of the year, isn't it? Grump, do you see this stubble here? And don't comment that it's white because I'm getting old. I'm right there with you, man. I this got... is a playoff beard <laughs> because this is a de facto playoff game. That's true. And I so, I am looking much bushier and more playoffy than you are. Well. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been anticipating this uh, this playoff game for, let's see, uh, I want to say since the beginning of October, this has been growing. So, wow! Yeah, uh, this is this is the most important I'm, game of the entire year. Would you? I'm sure the football grumpette really appreciates your uh, <laughs> my, situation. My, my dedication to the to the game. I think so. <laughs> um, so I'm. This is not going to be a super long episode, partially because this is a rematch of only two weeks ago. So not much has changed from a game-to-game matchup uh, standpoint. But also, I'm sick. Um, I have a fever. And I woke up this morning in, w- from a fever dream that I was <laughs> at FedEx Field with an obstructed view seat. Not joking. I was behind a pillar of some kind. And Gary Brightwell took the opening kickoff to the house. And it was not even like it was like the Red Seas parted. Um I'm going to try and channel that sickness energy into real life. Um, Remember when we were kids and we would dream about girls? So now you're dreaming about kickoff returns. I think when you're <laughs> you're sick, you just don't dream normal. <laughs> <laughs> you just have that same crazy dream, and it's like you wake up and you go right back into the dream. Oh, yeah. That's my fever dream craziness. It's like you're in this intense dream that you know is a dream and then you wake up and you just kind of go it's like hitting pause and going to the bathroom and coming back and hitting play again that's yeah. what it feels like i think what it is is you don't really wake all the way up like i think like a portion of your brain is still dormant um regardless my brain is mostly dormant anyway um so this is an important game like i said this is de facto playoff game this is the most important game of the year however you want to phrase it and I think that some narratives, to me, that's storyline enough. I mean, the entire Giants season, their seven wins start or whatever. Um, it all comes. I mean, it all comes down to this game. To me, that is enough of a storyline. But for journalists, it's apparently not. So because Daniel Jones's contract is up at the end of the year. Um, we have to also decide if this game determines the future of Daniel Jones. Uh, do you think that this in any way really affects the way Daniel Jones is perceived? Nope. 
Not one bit. I mean, it's one data point out of 17 this year, out of 50-something in the past five years. No. I mean, it's first of all, it's not fair to him because, again, it's hard to – and we've been saying this all year. It's impossible to evaluate without having competent weapons around you and a competent uh, offensive line. But that's fine. I mean, that's the way it has been this year. You have to do something. But to put one particular game on that – I mean, we, we said it in one of the games a couple of weeks ago that – we're talking about his stats, and it was something like, and I don't remember the exact numbers, like 18 for 35 for 203. And I said, well, what if that one catch wasn't dropped? All of a sudden, it's 19 for 36 or 247. Do you feel differently? So when you have it in one game and you're kind of thinking about numbers and performance, it's, it's incredibly unfair. And it's something that I don't think anybody with any uh, importance in the front office is saying, you know, this is the game. This, this isn't some bad movie we're watching. This is real life. Yeah, I mean, you said it would be unfair to Daniel Jones. I think you'd be selling yourself short if you're going to use this one game as a determining factor for anything at all. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I guess if some of the old bugaboos of Daniel Jones resurface, like a fumble, like, I mean, to be fair, the last Washington game, they scored very quickly off of a Daniel Jones fumble. Now, mm -hmm. it wasn't exactly a fumble in the pocket that he got strip-sacked. He was called on a run and lost... I mean, not that those, those are... Happen, though. That's yeah, those? exactly. The bigger problem with Daniel Jones wasn't losing the ball on a run. It was having no pocket awareness and getting stripped. Those are different things. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess if he's going to get strip-sacked three times in this game, then maybe you can take that into context of like, eh, maybe, maybe this is not the guy in the biggest moment. He went back to his old flaws. But I don't see that happening, mainly because it hasn't really been a problem for like... Two years at least? Yeah. Um, it's a non-story until he has that random interception and people, they grab their notes and like, oh yeah, Daniel Jones, turnover machine. And they go back and they recycle all this stuff. But it's not, you know, even before you go into a game, you know, I haven't read many previews about, you know, today Daniel Jones is playing, remember, he fumbles a lot and intercepts a lot. It, it doesn't, it's not really part of the narrative anymore until he does it. Yeah, um, and he hasn't really even thrown that many interceptions either. <laughs> like, no. um I mean, it's to, to the contrarian side of that is like you know he's not throwing as many risky passes. I mean, a lot of stuff is is safer, but he's executing. I mean, I would say that he is throwing less risky um, called passes. Okay. I, I guess in the. Um, broken play scenarios and two minute drills he is kind of just going off script and he is throwing some tight window passes i mean mm -hmm. uh i don't remember which game but he threw an absolute bullet to richie james in between like three defenders right yeah, in the middle was, of the field that was the play when we were where we were sitting we were like directly behind the throw and you mm -hmm. could see the trajectory of the ball going and it was perfect mm -hmm. and then also even the touchdown pass to isaiah hodgins last week mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um just kind of Extending that play, Isaiah Hodgins, I don't even know if he was part of the progression on that play. I guess he's probably option number uh, three in that scenario. I guess you go but, Bellinger first, run it in second, and then But these kind are of, scenarios you're talking about that – They're not called. Like, no, no, I think are things that you know the front office is looking at and evaluating. It's like making those tight throws. you know, Sure. And, and making the progression maybe on the not in the natural progression finding somebody those are those are the growth things we're looking for in a quarterback not 
Well, he's not throwing picks because of it. It's like, let's look at, you know, look at the growth from now even to the beginning of this year. You're absolutely right. And and like you said, this is this game is just one data point in a set of 17 this year and then five years before it. And, and frankly, you know, the years prior, th- this one year alone is the first time he's had a coaching staff that was kind of, I don't know, I, I I guess under Pat Shermer, he was allowed to kind of sling it as he saw fit, but he was much younger then, uh, et cetera. So, and more weapons then, too, to be able to sling it. Well, that's the other thing. is that Are they really going to use this game to determine the future when he's got Darius Slayton, Richie James, and Isaiah Hodgins as his top three receivers? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what I mean, kind of unfair bigger, shit is that? There's going to be bigger questions about off-season roster rebuilding and allocation of funds that may not necessarily mean how Daniel Jones played. If they have, if they're just deciding that they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and they want to have as much money as possible going forward, he might be a, a budget casually, but I don't think it's because of particular play in this game specifically. Um, and you mentioned that, uh, that drop pass by Slayton that probably would have won the game two weeks mm-hmm. ago. And and, mm-hmm. and this was a game that, um, you know, they should have won. They could have won. And they kind of let slip away. You know, we had the Daniel Jones fumble in the very yeah. first drive of the game. Darius Slayton dropped the pass. John Feliciano with the taunting penalty that set back a drive that was in enemy territory. Um, and then two missed tackles that allowed for two t- the only two touchdowns that Washington was able to score. Yeah, All sorts of little notes. mistakes here and there, but... I have it in my notes. The question to ask you is, overall, who was the better team in that game? Who looked like they were just better? I, I, I don't... I, I guess... I guess Washington, with the exception of the quarterback, like... If it weren't for Heineke just throwing ducks, because if you look back, the defensive line for the Giants ate during that game. I think I had it in my notes that they had like 10 quarterback hits between them mm-hmm. and like six sacks or something, and maybe four sacks. Fuck, keep doing that. Um, they, I, I don't know. Would you agree with that, that the commanders just looked more steady throughout that game? I think from a, you know, a 1 to 22, you know, players who played i think they were slightly better than the giants but i think if that game was played 10 times i think it could be a five and five okay um yeah the bummer of this is that was the game that they should have won that they needed to win um yeah they were significantly um washington was significant less significantly less healthy during that game um, and this doesn't really have anything to do with the bye week, just simply the fact that there were guys that were almost ready to play that couldn't play that game um, and guys that were maybe just coming back from injury, whatever. Um, and now there's a – I mean, do you think – right now Chase Young is kind of a limited participant. They're being cagey with his availability. Do you think there's a universe in which Chase Young does not play on Sunday night? Sure. Really? I think it's possible. I mean, as a universe, I wouldn't – I wouldn't book my uh, my SpaceX ticket to go to that universe, but I think there is a universe where he's not playing. If he's... Uh, I think the much more likely scenario is he's going to play a handful of snaps at most. I think that's the most likely scenario. All right. 
I just I don't see him being ruled out for this game. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I I would say I I, I could I, I see it, it could be possible, but I'd say most likely he is playing. And again, I don't think you're going to see him, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy percent of the snaps. I think it's going going to be limited. And you know, I'm not overly worried about Chase Young. Andrew Thomas doesn't seem to have much of an issue with him. Uh, he does move around though, and Evan Neal might have some issues with him. Regardless, a first round pick playing versus not playing, it's you know it's obvious. It's not even first round, but it's it's top five pick playing sure. versus not playing. I mean this this is it is indisputable that it's way better to be playing against a team that doesn't have that guy playing. Uh, so two weeks ago was the game to win. This now is a much tougher game to win um and based on what we saw two weeks ago it's kind of difficult to imagine a domination at this point well you know i was actually kind of thinking about what you said on on monday's show about um you know confidence and broken spirit and things like that and i the more i thought about it the more it kind of makes a it makes sense i mean this is still this roster is still pretty young correct Oh, yes, quite. This roster, how much playoff experience does this roster have? How much big game experience does this roster have? Dory Jackson has... He's not playing, but... Yeah. Um, not much. So, I mean, this is a roster... And again, this is a roster in transition. We expect to see a lot of uh, turnover between now and even next year. Never mind, you know two three years when we really expect this team to be you know at the peak of the of the rebuild process uh they're not used to the ups and downs of a 17 game season and the swings and you know because this team had some pretty high highs and you know definitely i kicked our coverage early in the year and i think that uh starting with those losses that washington win where they just i'm not going to be super harsh and call it losers lose because they're not a losers lose team but it's a tough game to lose and then follow it up by getting, you know, getting boat raced by, you know, a division rival. I'd be very interested with the, the psyche of this team is going to be going into it. So and we, I'm not going to, but I'm also at the same token, not going to blame this coaching staff to say you didn't get this team up and prepared for it. No. So we actually had a lengthy, like an hour long discussion after recording last episode <laughs> we should have just kept it I know, we should have because it was i don't know it was fruitful conversation it's fascinating <laughs> um but one of the things that we were saying is that the the biggest bitch of the tie against washington is that it was just kind of hanging out there and more than anything this team just needed a win for their confidence they've been on a slide they just needed to get you know we were just talking about a slump buster. You just need something it doesn't have to be pretty it can be by one point because it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, when you wake up the next morning, you remember winning. Not that it was not so great or whatever or that it was by one point or right. 50 points. What you remember matter. is winning. They didn't wake up and say, well, we now we have the tiebreaker against Seattle. It's shit. We didn't win. Yes. And and, and quite frankly, I mean, we, we went through the list of things that sucked about it being a tie. 
And the number one thing is that it didn't feel like anything different than a loss. And the players themselves said that. Jihad Ward said that they take it like a loss. Daniel Bellinger said that he it feels like a loss to him. They were down be, on themselves after that game. This may be an obvious question for you, Grump, but that's the attitude we want from our players, right? That it felt like a loss as well, opposed to a win. In, in a certain scenario, uh, yes, you don't want them to be content with a tie because that's, mm-hmm. you know, right. lame. Um, but I, I think in the context of where they were in their slide, and like you said, they're a young team, they could have used the confidence boost of a W. Oh, I agree. It didn't, yeah, it didn't matter if it happened in overtime or not. Right. It just It just needed to be a win, and it didn't happen. And I think that led directly to the absolute pegging they received against Philadelphia. <laughs> Um. Yeah, you like that? I was trying to be nice with the boat racing. But yeah, no, no I, I don't worry. Hey, if I had to stand in the rain for that game, then they're going to get the full lashing. So, um, the full, uh, the full gimp treatment. <laughs> um. So, with this game, I, I think it's time to unleash Daniel Jones as a weapon, right? It's time to use the full gamut of his abilities. It's time to bring him out on zone reads. Let him run around the edges. Let him throw the ball. Let him take chances. You know, if Darius Slayton drops a wide-open 45-yard pass, so be it. At -hmm. least you took the chance. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean the willy-nilly chances where right after that throw, you go downfield on the other side of the field into tight coverage and just throw the long ball for the sake of the long ball. I mean, take your shots. Make them think twice. And um, I think that it's time they start using Saquon Barkley less as a traditional running back and more as a receiving weapon. And I mean lining him up in the slot. And I don't mean lining him up in the slot and motioning him into the backfield. If you need somebody in there for extra protection, then leave Gary Brightwell in there and put Saquon Barkley in the slot. They don't have a lot of receivers. Right now, it's Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, and Richie James, who is technically i think on his way out of the concussion protocol and those are the only three guys the only three wide receivers who caught passes against him two weeks ago and remember in that game two weeks ago daniel jones was effective running the ball he had 71 yards you know he had 5.9 yards a carry so it's not like that wasn't the uh you know he didn't run couldn't run game that was one of the ones he could and i think we just kind of build on that even more he was our leading rusher in that game so, to my point about Barkley here, um, Saquon's numbers in the last six weeks have been not just not special. They haven't even been good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really not good. Last week, under 30 yards. Uh, the week before that, which was against Washington, was the best game that he had in the six-game slide. And he still had under 70 yards. Yeah. Um, Dallas game, he had 40 yards. The Detroit game, 22 yards. The only game that really stuck out was the Houston game where he carried the ball for 35 tries and he got 152 yards, again, against the worst team in the NFL. Well, the other thing, too, about him is even though like the yards per carry are, are very low, he hasn't really broken like a 40-yarder in quite a while, it feels like. Like, when was the last time he's had a truly long run that's like flipped the field at least green bay he had a 40 yarder that's a long time ago it was october 9th and it seemed like early in the season like once a game 
you know, the Tennessee game, he had a big one, didn't he, right after halftime? 70 yards. Yeah, all these things. And, like, we haven't seen, you know, you can live a little bit with a low yards per carry if there's that potential for one or two, you know, either field-flipping runs or straight-up taking it to the house ones. And we just haven't seen it in, you know, a long, long, long time. Yeah. I, I, like I said, he, it's, he hasn't been special. He hasn't even been good. And we, we've seen it week after week now. His runs up the middle are producing nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I just think it's high time we stop trying to beat a dead horse. Um, I, I'm not trying to say that Gary Brightwell is a better running back, but certain running backs have certain skill sets that are more conducive than others. And between the tackles, Gary Brightwell just puts his head down and goes forward. And it doesn't always work. But when it does work, it works for more yards than when Barkley does it. And this is something we go back to last year, even saying with the old coaching staff, it's, you know, the weakest part of your line. Why are you using your running back who that's not his best skill set as just a battering ram to try? And it's just bad fit all around. I'm, when the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley, I wasn't thrilled about it, but I did say that it's not exactly like drafting a running back in the first round. I mean, really what you're doing is you're drafting an offensive weapon. But every coaching staff that's come in has tried to build an offense around their running back. And they just right. keep using Saquon as a running back, well, just, not yeah. as an offensive weapon. I mean, try to compare him like to Christian McCaffrey. Look at all the ways they use Christian McCaffrey. And compare that to what Saquon Barkley is. Christian McCaffrey's just better. I, I know he's better, but they also utilize him in so many different ways, too. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I I think also some of it is that Barkley just doesn't have great hands. Uh, I mean, maybe that's not the right way to say it. I, I think he probably yeah, has decent hands, but, hands, but also, like... We were trying to throw little things in the flat to him, get him out in space. We're not asking him to make acrobatic catches or wide receiver as catches we're asking basic things yeah well i mean maybe it's time we don't ask him to do that i mean like some of his best plays are things like wheel routes and things like mm -hmm. that that get him like downfield and shit yeah i i, I think it's time that you, hands too. I, I just think it's time but i think in those scenarios when you have him downfield he's catching the ball more in front of him Rather, when you mm -hmm. get him out in the flat, you kind of have to, like, twist your body around. You know what I'm catch saying? It, catch it like this. You kind of almost have to turn around and then whip back around. And I think and that that— hands are—I don't know if you can see my hands, but it's not like catching like this. It's like, you know, like a catcher almost. It's—I it's, I don't think that it's really conducive to getting him in space. It's really just giving him an easy catch, I guess. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think by the time he turns all the way around and shit, it's just used too much time. I don't know. I just I like the idea of using him in more threatening ways than just routes out to the flat. You know what I mean? There's nothing yeah. less threatening to me than that shit. I mean, um, again, this game also should not be kind of the trial of Saquon Barkley either. But it's just the more and more we talk about Barkley and the more and more evidence we see, you know, the more data points of each game going forward. I mean, the million dollar question for me is not are we re-signing uh, Jones? It's are we re-signing Barkley? Or I, are we tagging him? I, I would agree with that. And I think that they've demonstrated that Barkley is... I, I, I think they've demonstrated that Barkley is a dynamic weapon in space, but overall is not really a down-in, down-out threat the way that 
say Derrick Henry is or Christian McCaffrey is, right? Can I make another bold prediction? You may. I think this coaching staff is out on Barkley. I agree. I think that they've tried to work him into every single game plan, and it hasn't really worked. And I also don't buy this bullshit that he got hurt in the Green Bay game, and that's affecting him now. I don't buy Mm. it. Mm. I'm not saying he didn't get hurt in the Green Bay game, but that being the cause for the slide, it just doesn't make any sense. The Green Bay game was October 9th. The Jacksonville game was two weeks after that. He ran for 110 yards. Well, the Houston game was... After that, November thirteenth was the right. Houston game. Yeah, I'm not buying that. That's I don't so buy convenient. it. I will say though, I mean, he seems a lot more confident this week in interviews and stuff, and felt like he had a good week of practice. To me, that yeah, I I agree, means very little. But if there is something nagging him that is let go finally, um, uh, you know. That's good news. The only I thing guess. I could say about that, which I don't you know, I don't care what players say, but sounding more confident after last week's, you know, debacle, as, some, as a <laughs> smart man once, once said, at least if you're talking the game, it means it's, it, at least you're giving that outward projection that that's in the rearview mirror when looking forward. That's Whether true. that means yeah. he actually produces on the field might be a second thing, but it starts with attitude. And we all know with football, the game is played, you know, in between the ears with, you know, passion and emotion and, you know, willing to win as much as it is physically. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. I, I think there's a chance that Barkley, I mean, like I said, in the six-game slide, the best game he had that didn't include a game in which he ran the ball 35 times was against Washington. I think that there's yards to be had for him there. There's matchups to exploit for him there. Um in this game, I think the biggest thing is actually going to be on defense. Because I completely agree. I mean, as much as I think the offense is hampered. I mean, there's just only so much you can ask of this beat up offensive line, this sorry group of wide receivers. But defensively, like I said, there's 14 points they put on the board by simply not being able to tackle. Right. And, you know, they they dominated the line of scrimmage on defense. They beat the shit out of Taylor Heineke. He was throwing lofty little lollipops up there that just weren't getting picked <laughs> off and, and st- stupid stuff like that. I, I, if you remember the one specific play when I, I even said that exact term to him, like, like look at that lollipop. Yeah, it, it's how he throws all the time. Anytime it's got to go downfield, he really does throw mortars out there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just got such an arc on it that – a safety worth his salt would come over and make that pick or at least make a play on the ball. Um, really, the defense did everything except finish plays yep. that game. And I think those those kind of feel like one-off, just unfortunate events as opposed to chronic issues. Like, you, I wouldn't count on that happening again and again if we play. Like, remember before I said they played 10 times? Hmm. I, I don't think I have a scenario where eight of those 10 times – we have two missed tackles that lead to 14 points in each game. I, yeah. I, I think that I'm less worried about the deep ball plays and things like that because I think that if Taylor Heineke has to be back in the pocket for three seconds or more, I think that pressure will get there for the most part. 
Um, and I think that any ball he has to throw downfield is going to have some air underneath it. I'm more worried about the quick hitter plays that play more to his strength and against our linebackers that can't cover for shit. So if the Giants can play tighter coverage for the first two seconds after snap, uh, like, I mean, you're allowed to put your hands on receivers right at the right. line of scrimmage and within five yards. So do it. Mug them. Maul them. And play get them off the route. Line of scrimmage. Don't yeah. give any cushion at all. Yeah. Push them around. Shove them. Get them off their get get the timing screwed up. Get the routes all messed up. Do whatever it takes in those first two seconds because the longer he has to sit in the pocket, the further downfield he has to throw. All plays into the strengths of the Giants, not into the Commanders. Right. Because um, I don't really have any faith that the linebackers are suddenly going to get better in, in coverage over the middle. Nope. <laughs> um, Jalen Smith was not signed here to be a coverage linebacker. Micah McFadden wasn't really drafted to be a coverage linebacker. Mm-hmm. That's not really what we and have. And it really right showed now. last week too. No, oh, yeah. The other thing is to continue hammering down on that running game because they're going to lean on it. And mm-hmm. Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, both guys have been hurt all year. They've been healthier during some games than others. But if they're able to run the ball for four yards per per attempt, mm-hmm. it's going to be a long, long game where we're going to see those 14-play, eight-minute drives that we saw last week the and whole guess time. guess what they averaged two weeks ago when they played us? Uh, four yards carry. 4.6. Yeah. Um, that can't happen. Now, Leonard Williams is limited this week, continuing that neck injury. Do you feel any better about him playing this week? Uh, limited. Again, he might be out. It's kind of the same thing about what's his name, where I think he'll be out there for maybe, you know, an X amount of snaps, but not, you know, the majority of, of plays. And again, any play he can be in there changes that defensive line quite a bit. So um, I'm hoping he's out there for some plays. Yeah. I I do feel good about this defensive line group. I think that over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Azizo Jalari and Kayvon Thibodeau start to form a – and it's really been the only two weeks they've played together. Let, let me ask you a quick question going back to limited for a minute. Have you gotten enough, enough sense from this coaching staff of – limited players is it do you get the sense that the staff uses limited like they can't go we can only use them a little bit in practice or we are saving them for game scenarios by limiting them or can't really tell i can't tell i mean like anytime that they the injury designation is entirely due to rest they have to list it as rest right that's obviously not the case or or what you're talking about yeah um but I, I don't know. I don't know that there's any way to know either. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we could do an analysis like maybe after the season or something about how many people were limited versus how how many of those guys that were limited played versus didn't play. Well, I would say that it's far more likely for a guy like Leo to be limited as a way of saving him for the game because he's a veteran. Yeah. Right, who, who needs a lot less practice than, say, Daniel Bellinger, who is an integral part of the offense – Right. And a rookie, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I, I definitely think it's possible. I don't think that's a silly question. I just don't know yeah. that there's any way to possibly know, especially right. with like media's limited access to practices and things like that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I don't. 
I don't know, man. Uh, to me, this is – I don't really care about the math going forward. Um, to me, this is the only game left on the schedule, right? I mean, this is the game that I'm pulling out all the stops for because making the playoffs is a big deal. It's a big deal for this making, coaching staff. It's a big deal the for the young players. Is the goal. I mean, yeah. That's, honestly, in this year with this scenario, with this – beginning of the rebuild blah 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 the goal you know is to make it that's it you know don't worry about what happens like what matchup will be i don't, don't care doesn't matter yeah it doesn't even matter if they're one and done yeah um i i think going to the playoffs is a big deal for this organization it's a big deal for the fan base it's a big deal for these coaches their first time this isn't brian dable's first year in new york it's his first year as a head coach yeah. It's it's Mike Kafka's first year as an offensive coordinator. It has nothing to do with their first year here. It's their first year ever. It's a big deal, and it, it's valuable experience for these guys who need it. Remember, we, we look up to these guys because they're, you know, whatever, good at their job. Adults have had success in other roles I, prior. I honestly but. think it's a bigger deal inside the building than the people sitting in the seats because I think – you know the the fans are the fans, and the fans are either going to always have overinflated expectations and never be happy, or or you know whatever. But I think to really build a winning culture in that building, and with those players, and get 100% buy-in from this coaching staff, you know, making the playoffs really says something. It means something. There's only, you know, was it 16 teams make it out of? Uh, 30, Four, 14, I think, right? Isn't it seven, it of, seven seeds in each conference? Yeah, 14 make it out of 34. Every game is a primetime game because they don't have multiple playoff games going on at the same time. So everybody's watching. It is a major deal. And I think, you know, if you're realistic and you're even on the Giants, you know this is not a Super Bowl team, but you're playing for something important. You're playing for an extra week of playing. And um, it's very, very important. And you just don't want any, even if it's a perception of, well, this team underachieved or choked or disappointed or failed because they didn't make the playoffs. Why even bother with that? Just win this game, you know, do what you got to do in the next couple of games, finish it off against Indy, and then let's get ready. You know, that's how I feel. But let me ask you, Grump, and I don't know if this is the right time to have this conversation, but do you feel that this season – would be a, either a disappointment or a failure if they don't make the playoffs for me for you personally it would be a disappointment but it wouldn't be a failure i think they've they've achieved far more than i expected already in this year but mm -hmm. it would be a disappointment because i think that they i think that they let the washington game slip away 2 weeks ago i think that they also kind of let the Detroit game get out of hand. I think mm -hmm. that I, I I personally believe that there was some punch pulling that happened at a certain point when they kind of were protecting their lead in the standings more than they were being aggressive anymore. And to me, that's football. That's inexcusable. It's not baseball it's not it, there, there's not enough games for you to screw around and i i think also even even in the micro version of that the in-game version where you have the lead and you start changing don't change what worked 
this worked against this team because that's their weakness and you've used it against them. Right. Don't just Philly, protect your lead. Look no further than Philly last week. They knew what our weaknesses were and they exploited it the entire game. Oh, yeah. There was no letting off the gas by, you nope. know, they knew who to target. They did it all friggin' game. Yeah, and so for me it would be a disappointment because I think they, you know, as much as you can have it in the bag without having played the game yet, they had it in the bag. They just mm -hmm. needed to keep being themselves, and they kind of stopped. Um, and, and for that reason, it would be a disappointment, but I think removing myself from that when the Super Bowl is over and it's time to rebuild, I think I look back on the season with bright eyes and... Uh, with good memories and think that there is plenty there for this to, to build off of for the future. So yeah, it would I, be a disappointment, but it would really only linger for the last month or so. And then I, I'd move I, on. I, I think for, yeah, I've been trying to find the right way to articulate this, but I think I just figured it out. It'd be disappointing that we had a, we had one goal for this team and then there were other goals as well. And it was disappointing that we'd make a higher goal of making the playoffs but overall, this team, the way they fought in the beginning of the season, the way they fought through adversity, you know, and just I think there's more pieces here to build off of than I originally thought at the beginning of the season. So that, to me, doesn't make this season a disappointment. Yeah, uh, and, and I also think that there is enough brains in this uh, – in the, in the coaching staff to make the most out of weak points – I mean, the fact that Isaiah Hodgins is, is catching touchdown passes says something to me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel good about the fact that we can coach around a weaker roster. You right. know what I mean? So it's like we can, we can gain success without having the perfect roster. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if anybody thinks that the season's a failure because they quote-unquote choked, I think has to reassess and reevaluate, you know, what was realistic this year? What were your goals going into this year? And even what your goals were at, you know, week six, you know, I don't think this is a failure season by any stretch. Give me your prediction, Crank. Well, you know, when you can point out very specific plays for reasons why you lost, that means overall it was a pretty close game between two teams that, you know, I had to ask you, and you had to think about it for a couple seconds to say, what team looked better? And I think this is close enough where, you know, I, like I said a little earlier, that I don't think we're going to have two missed tackles result, two plays like that were kind of fluky, resulting in 14 direct points. So having said all of that, I still like Daniel Jones more than I do Haneke. I think this is Daniel Jones, you know, the, again, he's not on trial, but I think this is an opportunity for Daniel Jones to really take this job and say, it is mine. And even with the, the lack of weapons he has, the lack of a, a pass uh, protection that he has, the very uncertainty of the running game, you know, how bad we are with uh, stopping the run there, you know, Wanting to run the ball a lot, they're going to run a, a lot. Um, I think we're still going to squeeze this out because, again, I am not sold that Washington is that great either. And, you know, they were off for a week, maybe a, a tiny bit of rust from not playing. 
Uh, I know they got a little healthy because of that week, and I know they you, you're you're scouting the same team twice in a row. But I am going to put a little blind faith in the Giants squeezing this out, and I am going to go 24-21. Um, when we saw Bobby at the tailgate, what game was that? I don't remember. It's two weeks ago. Was that the Washington game? Yeah. He said something – I don't know if you were there, if he was just talking to me, but I just remember him saying, like, can we stop pretending like the bye week is an automatic advantage? The teams come out rusty from the bye week all the time. He's kind of right. Um, that does happen almost as often as teams come out better. So it's kind of a flip of a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a possibility of that. I think also I – I think that both of these teams have coaches that are good at looking at the film and adjusting. I think the Giants might have a slight advantage there. But more than anything, I kind of think that overall the Giants have a better altogether roster. Um, And when all else is even, players being better is an advantage it's it's it could be the deciding factor <laughs> yes. you know um i still don't have confidence that this offense is going to score lots of points they just don't have the horses um but i do think that the defense will buckle down i do think that tackles will be made i think that this defensive line is uh the defensive ends i'll say are are getting more and more better <laughs> they're they're getting stronger as a team Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari. And I, I think that the defense shuts things down a lot more. I think the Giants pull this one out 20-16. to 16. Clip this. I think we're going to have a defensive score. Okay. Uh, Cranky fan thinks we're uh, – in I, I, what way? Sack, fumble, I, interception? I, I, I was just going to say that. I, I, I was – you know, there was a stretch in that game, you know, third quarter where we were putting considerable pressure, you know, as the game was – wearing on and their offensive line was getting maybe worn down a little bit that we were you know getting more and more pressure on Heineke and I think we are going to get to him and I think you know it's going to cause you even made the comment that you were upset about Thibodeau that it had that sack you know in overtime that it should have been a you know if he done it swung his arm around it could have been he could have forced a fumble I I said that in the moment uh, upon rewatching I was wrong 100% yeah. but it was a huge Chance. I mean, he even said it himself. Kayvon right. Thibodeau said in the interview afterwards that he got up expecting him to drop the ball, but he was just able to hold on yeah, to it. Yeah, I, I, in the heat of the moment, I kind of disagree with you, but, you know, looking at the tape, yeah. But the point is, you know, he was close enough that a, a, a strap, a, a strip sack could have very easily happened. And I could see, again, as this game kind of wears on and it becomes a field position game, something like that absolutely does happen. And we score off of it. So those 24 points, while, yeah, the offense may have struck times, you know, getting yardage and scoring, I think we can score on the benefit of, of a, a defensive score. I'll go ahead and call my shot. I, I respect it. Uh, and uh, I hope for it. So we're <laughs> both predicting a win here, which pretty much almost guarantees the Giants going to the playoffs. It would be this win and the win against Indianapolis would just about seal it. I think that would put us and, at like a 99 And we're getting some chance. help you know, as we go around the league of games that are relevant to us. Seattle, as we record this on Thursday night, is yeah, their ass kicked. Yeah, they're getting their asses kicked. Um, 
let's go around the let's go around the division, I guess. Um, get your schedule handy. Um, well, I know what Dallas and Philly are doing this week. Um, they have, I mean, every other team in the division has an easier schedule than the Giants right now. Hang on one second. Of, of course. Um, this week, Dallas is at Jacksonville. Do you want to make a prediction on that while I pull up the rest of the schedule? I think Jacksonville's going to win. Really? Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, I think Jacksonville's been playing better as of late, and... Uh, you know, I, I, I spent the last couple of weeks on this show saying, you know, I fear Dallas more than I do Washington. And then they barely, you know, struggled to get out of that Houston Vic game with a win. Dallas um, more than Washington or Dallas more than Philadelphia? Da- uh, yeah, I, I. OK, here's a breaking story. I fear Dallas more than Washington. But I also <laughs> the last two weeks saying I fear Dallas more than Philly. Um that may be true in an individual game, an individual matchup against us, but I think right now, I think Jacksonville, Jacksonville has a lot to play for also. They still have a shot to make the playoffs, you know, as well. I just got this weird feeling the way that this weird year of the NFL, I think, I just have this gut feeling that Jacksonville is going to come away with a win. Um, Philadelphia is playing Chicago. I can't be that confident on that one. I think uh, that Philly wins that one huge. Yeah. Um, as for the rest of the year, Philly goes Chicago, then Dallas, then New Orleans, then Giants. The Cowboys go Jaguars, Eagles, Titans, Commanders. And the it's Commanders. Not easy. No, it's not. I mean, that's where the tie also kills because, okay, we're looking at the backside like we're trying to get into the playoffs, but, you know. The positive says, you know, if we have beaten Washington, you still realistically have a chance to catch Dallas. But, you know, that tide basically kills that. that yeah. And anything for that. Um, Washington has probably the toughest outside of – actually, Washington might have the toughest remaining schedule. They have us, then the Niners, then the Browns, and then the Cowboys. Um, that's yeah. a tough schedule. Though I can much sooner see Mike McCarthy resting his starters in the last week of the year than I can Nick Sirianni. Totally. Um, so that last game may be a nothing for. And then you know, <laughs> what time does the clock strike midnight on Brock Purdy? If you're playing San Francisco, I mean, I'm watching this game tonight, and they, you know, that offense is so fun to watch, and now. You know, now that Samuel is out, um, what's in the what's in the tight ends back in the, in, in the in the mix again? And uh, well, who says the clock does run out on Brock Purdy? Well, that's kind of a million dollar question. If you're if you're forty, I mean, I'm being serious. He's a rookie, so it's not like it's not like uh, what am I trying to think of? It's not like um, oh man, who's it's not like Brian Hoyer. Or Ryan Fitzpatrick, or you know all these guys that repeatedly come in, they play well and then they fall apart or whatever. This is a rookie, right? And I guess what is and not for nothing he was good in college. I guess what's the precedence of a rookie coming in at a Super Bowl level team and keeping the the ball rolling? Well, I don't know about Super Bowl level, but I think you can look at Kirk Cousins. Drafted in the third round the same year as Robert Griffin, clearly um, was not their first option at quarterback, and now is 
the quarterback of the number two seed in the NFC. Oh, no, 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 oh, yeah, but we're also talking years down the road. I, I'm just saying, what I'm saying is that all the time we spend a lot of time evaluating quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and it can be the guy that you wouldn't expect sometimes. Oh, I, 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 you know I, what I mean? I, yeah, I, I, I didn't mean that in the context of the clock striking midnight on him as a, you know, a quarterback in this league. I meant in this present circumstance as being the quarterback on, you know, probably the second best team in the league. Well, I mean, obviously this is a ridiculous thing to say, but like not for nothing, but Tom Brady only got a shot because Drew Bledsoe got hurt. Right. Would any of us know Tom Brady's name if Drew Bledsoe didn't get hurt? I remember in Michigan, but it was one of those guys like if you're watching on a Saturday, oh yeah, he's the quarterback, that guy. That's what I'm saying. The Brock Purdy was in the Big Ten, right? But was he a was he a rookie that year? Uh, I go for thought so. I'm gonna double check that though. Yeah. Um, did you and have any? Was, and not only was and not only was he a rookie, Purdy. He was the third string quarterback for. Yeah, it's true. You know, he was in the off season. He was wasn't prepped at all, even to be the backup. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fascinating, and you know, you know, if, if the Giants are out, you know, obviously because of, uh, you know, the cranky wife, I'll have some sort of rooting interest for the 49ers. but um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I mean, I. I, I, I'm not. That's what I mean. That whole comment was. That's not about you know him as an NFL quarterback. It's just in this present circumstance, you know, can he play at a level that is required for this team to make a serious Super Bowl run? Because I think before um, Garoppolo got hurt, this was a. I think the team that was you know, had the only real shot of beating Philly and going to the Super Bowl. Right. Um, well, I mean, in the context of the Commanders having to face them next week, I wouldn't say that the fact that it's Brock Purdy. You know, I don't. I don't think that the clock will strike midnight that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Tom Brady was in his second season at that point. Okay, but cool. you know, close enough, I guess, right? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, any final thoughts? Well, like I said, it, it, it is playoff week here on the Just Giants podcast. <laughs> um, I am. I am really happy to be in this situation. I'm treating this like this game was in mid-January. Um, I think I, I think we're going to pull this out. I, I really do. Um, this Washington team, we spent the first third of the season when we were doing our previews us saying Washington sucks. And, you know, they, they, they started winning some games, but I don't think this team is that great. I think it's certainly beatable. Um, there's going to be a lot of giant fans down there. I just read something. I read some article that just said, like, you know, tickets on the secondary market are not very expensive. So I think you'll see a lot of giant fans. All the ones who made money on their Eagle tickets have extra money to spend. Maybe jump on Amtrak and go down there. You cheap giant fans. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I feel good. And it's uh, this is this is why we're fans for for games like Sunday. Yeah, I um, look, I, I can't be upset about a must-win game in Week 15 in a winnable situation. Yeah, it's ideal, spent, actually. When we spent all off-season thinking about 2023 and 2024 and stuff like that. So I mean, like only 
two teams in each conference really are ever not in a must-win situation at this point. Mm-hmm. So to not be one of those two teams is not disappointing. Um, to be one of the teams fighting for a playoff spot is not disappointing at all. So, uh, Is this the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the uh, kneeling on third down? Oh, I don't know. Boy, those well, those uh, memories are long buried. I, they're long buried, and I don't mean to— You're you know, probably right. Yeah. Um, no, I think it was a little later. Was it in I, January? But Okay, so if it was 52 weeks away or 51 weeks away— Look at the progress that this team has made in 51 or 52 weeks. Where we were as a collective fan base, ready to, you know, Thelma and Louise ourselves off the side of a, a cliff, at, at one of the lowest points you can be as a Giant fan, to talking about making the playoffs and not backing into the playoffs, like making the playoffs. Because, you know, look at the other teams that are fighting for it. So this is this is good. This is fun. Treat it as fun. Don't be super fucking pissed if we lose this game and think, woe is us, we suck, same old Giants. That's not the case. I mean, I'm going to be pissed in the moment. I'll be pissed. Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pissed and upset, but there's, there's, there's being pissed and upset that we didn't win to get to the playoffs. And again, the season's not over if we lose this game, but... There's piss by underachieving and piss by just not winning. And keep it in the second column as opposed to the first one. All right, that's going to do it for us. So I will be watching from home, 820 or whenever it starts on Sunday night. And uh, we will be with you Tuesday morning as usual. I'll be uh, somewhere in Manhattan watching it at a bar. So if anybody wants to watch with me, hit me up on the Twitter machine at the Cranky Fan, and I will love to watch with you. So let me know. Um, can't watch with me. I'm I'm staying home because I don't feel good. So, um, but you can tweet at me during the game, and I'll give you my real time thoughts at football underscore grump. Um, and as always, our show will be. Bright and early Tuesday morning, our reaction to the win, right? We'll be making our plans to go to either San Francisco or Tampa. There is a zero shot we're playing in Tampa. There's a zero shot? We would have to be the fifth seed. We have to be the fifth seed. Which is not happening. Because that would okay. mean we'd have to outshoot Dallas. That ain't happening. That's not <laughs> happening. Fine. It's uh, more likely that we're playing... San Francisco or Minnesota, the second or third seed. Mm. Either way, it doesn't matter. We're playing in a playoff game. Amen. So we will see you all Tuesday morning after Giants win, and we will be high-fiving all of you at that time. Until then, go Giants. Go Giants.